0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to build a cool company. And I don't mean like a like a cool company in some kind of weird high school way. I mean a company where you're like, yeah, this feels good. I'm like, I like this. When I started Cadence, I didn't have some grand plan. I was like, oh, I guess I'm starting a company. And I did. And at first it was just me and a ton of anxiety. But then it was me and Jerry. And then Jerry and I brought in another person and another person. And now we're at 13 people. And I can say This is a cool company. The people I work with are awesome. I love my job. I love that I get to lead this company and I love the people I get to work with and I love our clients and the work we do. So much of that just kind of happened, but a lot of it actually didn't just kind of happen. Now that I think about it, there actually was a lot of intention behind things. I probably just didn't realize it at the time. And the biggest thing is like, hey man, if I'm going to be spending so much of my life here, I want it to matter. I want to do good work with good people and I want to feel good about it. I really feel like we've hit that stride, especially lately. That leads us to today's conversation with Jason Wubbs. Jason Wubbs is the CEO of Westland Insurance Group. He's responsible for managing Westland's overall operations and leading the development and execution of the company's long-term strategies. Holding an MBA from SFU, Jason brings over 30 years of business, leadership, and insurance expertise to the organization. He's been instrumental in fostering Westland's inclusive culture, one that celebrates the equality and diversity of its employees and clients. The thing about Westland, and I can say this from being someone who has been their audience, I've worked with them for quite a while now. This is a cool company. Of course, the difference between them and Cadence Cadence is like we're 13 people and they're you know 2,000 people. I can't imagine what it's like to scale up like that and keep that sense of just being like, damn, this is like a great company. I actually said to Patrick uh, earlier on as we were prepping for the show, you know Westland's a company I'd work for. Now, just to be clear, this is not like a puff, yeah, you know, puff piece because uh, you know, I we work with a lot of great companies. Westland just always stands out to me so much as just being like, damn, this is such a good collection of people. They're doing really good work and they feel good doing it. And that is an incredible thing to have achieved. We're going to talk all about it today in the episode, but before we get to it, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Hey everyone and welcome to the show so like i said in the intro today we have jason wubbs who is a leader that i personally find to be really inspirational you know as i've been growing cadence one of the things that i try and manage at all times is saying like hey i, I want this company to represent who i am and stay true to that while also growing in a way that allows for like different ways of being, different ways of approaching a a challenge or an opportunity. And like kind of keeping that sense of like, I want this company to just feel like real, you know, like to to be how, you know, how I am and like what matters to me, but also allow people who are coming in to to put their own stamp on it and to help it become something that it couldn't become without them. So things that I couldn't even make it become. So when I think of Jason, Jason eh, has really, Led a company that has, you know, come from very like, you know, honest beginnings into this really wonderful, fast growing company that seems to have somehow maintained that same like family feel to it. So with that, Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me,
0: around. So, you know, I, I gave you this glowing review as we we're going into this. And it's totally true. I'm so lucky that I get to spend time with you and and all your team. When you think about that, like maintaining that sense of just being like, Say, calling something family is a little sticky, but just that sense of like, oh, this is a cool company to work for. How have you maintained that as Westland's grown? I think
1: probably the first thing for me is is when I think about how we've evolved. And sometimes I look at the numbers in our growth and, and causes the heart to flutter a little bit, to be honest with you. <laughs> but what gives me peace uh, is that i learned a long time ago if i was going to be effective in this role and i wanted to westland to be the way uh, and maintain some of its values i had to first understand and be me and and what Mm -hmm. i mean by that is be authentic Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: i learned that uh through through a real good lesson of of, uh, a manager summit that we had a number of years ago and i had been ceo i think for two years and Ambitious and, and optimistic, so I brought in our first keynote speaker, and I organized the whole summit. And, and the gentleman, John Herdman, and he I think is now the coach of the men's national team. At the time, he was the coach of the women's team, and he did this presentation. and, and uh, If you've ever seen John, he's a handsome dude, and, and he had the, the real nice shoes, and came in. and, and We have uh, probably I think there was maybe a hundred people there, and about seventy of them are are, are female. So. He walked in and had a, had a presence to him, and, and a cool factor. Uh-huh. And he put a shot up of Christine Sinclair uh, on the screen to start his presentation, and he had the, the headpiece and, and walked across the stage with his sport coat and his jeans. And, and at the end of his talk, he had another image of her, and I looked around the room, and uh, everyone's eyes were welled up uh, with emotion, and he was such a powerful speaker. And my eyes were welled up too, but not because of what he had said. I just kept looking at my speaking notes and I was going to do a state with the organization <laughs> after. And what really hit me about that was first, never, ever book yourself after a, a keynote speaker to, 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 talk to the group. That's what they're good at. And, yeah. but more importantly for me, uh, and I got up, and, and my armpits and my dress shirt are sweaty and, and I just, threw it out there to the group that I was having a a WTF moment and and, um, (laughs) it it seemed to resonate with everybody. Uh, but what I learned from that is I'm not John Herdman. Uh, uh, I am Jason Wobbs and I need to be who I am. And in terms of authenticity, what I've learned over the years too, is, um, One of my gifts is that I relate to people and there's a number of reasons why growing up in the business, my family roots, the way my father is. Um, and so I've learned that, that people in our organization really appreciate and have come to love that about me. And, and I saw that a couple years later, um, I sort of fine tuned my speaking skills and, and we had about 150 managers and then some external company people, and I was doing a state of the union. Uh, address and I moved away from the podium and and I was I was starting to get into my groove and uh, got a little off script and uh, um, someone asked me a question about uh, uh, young people in, in getting growing up in the industry and should we push them faster or should we you know hold them back and I said if you're asking me I think we should throw them to the wolves and. <laughs> yeah, what I meant was something else, obviously, and the room burst into laughter, and and my face went red, and and I uh, thanked everyone for their time, and and but what I found out later was that a lot of our managers were like, "Oh my goodness, I could totally see myself saying that." What has become now a theme at Westland is when I speak, uh, we have people that that hopefully listen to my message, but we also have people, it's like a treasure hunt of j now, where I wonder what he's gonna screw up in his sayings. And people <laughs> even have lists of them. But I think what it does for me, it's also a reminder is I'm quirky, um, but I'm real. And, and so as we grow, you know, I need to evolve my behaviors. And, and, and one of the things I've learned is, is to, in, in leaderships to listen, 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 and, and, and be open to ideas. But I, I I have a real peace in that I know who I am and, and I, I leverage those strengths.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. You know, you're fortunate that they're they're just looking for a list of jism's isms instead of like howling, you know, like
1: oh <laughs> well trust me, Ron, there's there's been some worse
0: ones. So <laughs> I'm real interested in, well, I know the story, but I'm interested in the audience knowing the story of Westland because it's a cool, it's a really cool story. So if you can just give us like real brief overview of the company, where it started, where it is today, but also add your story in there as well, like your entry into the company and then your evolution. So let's talk about both the company and you, uh, in terms of like from start to where we are now.
1: Yeah, Westland was was founded in, in 1980 uh, by my father. And, and Jeff worked for Jeff Webbs, and he worked for a large insurer at the time, and, and was moving up in the company ranks. And Jeff was getting tired of the push and pull. You know, get told he needs to go to Chicago or New York on on a moment's notice or a day's notice, and. He got the nod for a promotion, which would mean that our family was going to move back to Toronto and he just didn't want that. So he made the difficult decision. He resigned from what was, a, I think, a good paying job at the time uh, and sold our family home in Burnaby, uh, which is a suburb of Vancouver, of course. And he had a friend in the industry co-sign uh, a loan to buy... Corey insurance, which is an insurance brokerage in Ladner, uh, BC and, and um, interest rates back in those days were at 17, 18%. So he took a big risk and, and what he wanted basically out of that is he wanted to be his own boss uh, and he wanted, uh, he would say this, I just want to be able to come home for lunch and he wanted to attend our, our events. Uh, the twin brother, Matt and I were starting to get involved in sports and, and he wanted, he, he wanted to be able to balance lifestyle more. In terms of Westland itself in the early days, uh, and I'll say this about Jeff—he wasn't someone who had a five-year vision uh, or, 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 you know, espoused wisdom about leadership. He he led really just by the way he was as a human being. In terms of Westland, and I share this when we we meet with, with potential partnerships with other brokers. Two major themes um, for us an organization are rooted in, in Jeff's behavior. Jeff wanted selfishly the brokerage that he owned to be a place that he liked coming to work every day. And he said, if you are fortunate enough in life, you, you spend most of your waking hours uh, at work, uh, at least in those days. And I know, you know, today we have a whole different way of sometimes how we approach work, but in those days, for sure, you go to the office and for, for him, More important than anything else, he wanted to enjoy that experience. So he created a culture where not only for him, but the staff in the office loved coming to work. And and I joined about seven years later as a student and I loved coming to the office, especially the office that that Jeff worked at and and his partner at the time, Colin Thompson, worked in another office that they had acquired. And that was very important to have that, that kind of atmosphere. As things started to evolve and we learned this from Jeff as well, he also said, you know, you can employ many different strategies to be successful in the insurance space or in any other business. he says, but if you have an engaged workforce, your chances of being successful in executing your strategy are that much greater. And for me, because I love working with people. Um, As I got more involved in the organization and got the opportunity to have more influence, that's something that has always uh, resonated with me uh, in terms of what we're trying to build. And first and foremost, we want to be a good employer. We don't always get it right, uh, but it's something we strive to do. So when we translate that today... Uh, and and uh, you know some of these individuals from some of our prior conversations, but people like Carrie Fraser, our CPO, some of the investments we've made in, in, in people in performance and processes and compensation, all is with the intention of, of maintaining and evolving and nurturing what we hope to be considered is, is one of the top employment cultures in the insurance space in Canada.
0: It's apparent, you know, so I work with all sorts of different companies and great, great, fantastic companies and companies that have some challenges. Westland stands out a lot as really talking the talk and walking the walk. Like there's those things are there. Like every company is like, oh, we care about this. And, you know, these things matter. But Westland actually does that. Where's the company today in terms of, you know, it had these really honest, like humble, but just honest beginnings and now the organization's grown like significantly. So where's the, where's the organization today?
1: We are today in terms of size now, we're about 2,000 employees. We are, as of uh, within the last year, we're spanning uh, pretty much coast to coast. We we go as far as Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and uh, all the way to the West Coast, uh, to Thino and, and Euclid. So we are in seven of the 10 provinces. So we're really expanding. And, and uh, I think one of the challenges there is, is for us is knowing how important culture is, how does this WUBS family-based business from the 80s and 90s and maybe early 2000s, how, how does that translate uh, in, into a national culture that, that, we, that we hold those same values? And so that, that is a challenge, but it's also something that I think our leadership team and, and, and uh, uh, the, the people within Westland have been there for a long time are very excited about meeting that challenge, and it's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. And so you hit on something that I think is just such an important conversation. You know, if we go back to, to Jeff's beginnings, like making your place of work cool, like it's where I want to go. If it's in your scope, that's one thing, right? So I'm very lucky. I have a small company I get to lead. So I can make my work cool. I can surround myself with people I like to work with. They, I can like engage them. But boom, you open up a second space, even if that space is down the street. Now that becomes a little bit harder, let alone something that maybe is in the next next community over, the next town over, the next province over. And that challenge of being able to trust that the people that are there that maybe you only talk to once a week, once a month, once a quarter, maybe even once a year, that they are leading and creating a culture where if you went to work there, you would like going to work there. How have you achieved that or how are you achieving that?
1: Great question. I think this is something that, that first we've had lots of conversations about this topic. I think for me, you know, in, in the last number of years, as, as our leadership team has evolved, this has been something that, you know, a bit of Jason this and Jason that in terms of, of helping create this culture. So one of the things we've done recently is with our, our cultural and brand refreshes is how do we, How do we define and articulate when we say it's a good place to work? We want it to be a a place you want to come to. How do we define that and and how do we then articulate that message and, and create accountabilities amongst the broader leadership team across the country? And I think for me, I know through conversation, what that looks like, but it's also then for me as CEO to say, let's translate that and let's make sure that holds true. Uh, We've made investments in in, in people in performance and leadership and individuals that can help articulate what that looks like. How do we translate that in a day-to-day environment for people in the proverbial second or third office? Mm. And I would suggest we're really starting to have some, some success there.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you've been at it obviously for a while and there's that sense of like, you've even been at it for a while you're like, oh gosh, I actually feel like maybe we're just starting to wrap our head around how to, how to do this well, rather than just kind of like, oh, we hope we're getting it right. Like you're starting to get into a groove of, oh, and this is actually how I think we do this.
1: Yes. And this is what it means when we say Westland will be a great place to work. Right. And, and for me, Aram, I've sometimes struggled with that because I am a storyteller. And so I can explain it. But you can't always have 20 minutes of someone's time to explain and define, well, what is it you mean by you have a great culture? And then so with people within our leadership team and people that we've invested in that that help, help draw it out of me and others, like how do we, how do we translate that into actionable steps for, for the broader organization? I'm I'm just really excited to see that work happening.
0: Yeah. And. Well, let's talk about you now. So let's talk about your entry point to the business you mentioned, you started when you were a student and you loved coming to work, but tell us about your evolution to where you are today.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I started as a summer student and and of course, like any summer student, I didn't have a grand vision. I I was working at a construction site, uh, doing the foundation uh, uh, frames and having to take them off after they poured the concrete and, and that hurt the hands. And it was hot and then rainy, and, and I would come home every day and complain and complain. And, and, uh, uh, so my father said, you know, we need some help filing and, and doing some bank deposits. And he said, what's filing? And he said, well, just would you like to, to come to the office? So I went to the Randy River uh, uh, retail store at Guilford Mall, uh, which is near in Surrey where we lived. And I got some of these corduroy ties and then a few shirts and, and uh, <laughs> showed up uh and uh um started filing and the office was air-conditioned there was a a pot of coffee in the back and and i was like this is sophisticated and and that was sort of (laughs) the the start of my career and jeff and colin who who who, you know my father and his partner you know they would once in a while if i was quiet take me on a business lunch And, and and back then You know, I was in university and playing basketball. So it was all about, could I get an appetizer and dessert at lunch? And and lunch was also because it was a work lunch. It was an hour and a half sometimes, or even sometimes close to two hours. And I was paid by the hour. So I felt I was cheating the system, uh, in a good way with, for that extra 45 minutes of of sitting in in a nice restaurant, just quietly eating my food and asking for another Pepsi. Um, so those, those were the early days and when I got out of college, um, you know, I played basketball at UBC and, and was afforded the, the opportunity to be captain of the team my last year, along with another uh, a great friend of mine, a guy named Brian Tate. Um, and so I started to there sort of get a little taste of, of leadership and, and having influence. I probably didn't know it at the time, but something kind of, you know, struck a nerve with me uh, about that. And so after college, I I started working in the business and and wasn't sure what I was, where I was going to go. My twin brother, Matt had gotten his CA. And and so I thought I probably, I guess that means I should become a lawyer and and, and took the the, uh, LSAT prep exam with about that much thought and preparation and and helped with that average. Um, (laughs) So law school wasn't in in the cards for me. And then Jeff took me for, for breakfast and said, why don't you come full time in the business? And there's lots more to learn than, than what you've been doing. And, and uh, so I did that. And within a year, they had a management change in the Ladner office that he had first acquired and I got the opportunity to become the manager. And and that's where I really started to evolve uh, as a leader and start to read and learn and and, uh, uh, started my journey there. And and, um, yeah, apologies to a lot of our employees in that office because they were my, my testing ground in terms of, uh, <laughs> my craft. And, and, uh, um, hopefully they have been gracious enough to let bygones speak bygones in terms of some of my mistakes.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about that because you've, you've basically had it from like, Hey, this is a summer job all the way up to where you are now. And of course your organization is huge growth. What have you learned about yourself? So what do you know about yourself today as a leader? That you didn't know back then
1: i think the first thing that jumps out is is relatability um Mm -hmm. and i think that foundation of working in the branches uh, um, has really helped me understand i think listening is a skill that you can learn Mm -hmm. and i've learned that over the years um in my early days i would suggest You know, watching other leaders or, or, you know, watching television and and some of the the assumptions we make about leadership was to espouse and and to direct. And then as I've grown up in in this role, uh, not as CEO, but in leadership in general, I've learned to listen. And I think um, uh, that is something that I didn't know about myself in terms of uh, when I'm focused on it, I'm pretty good at it.
0: What's your discipline? Of listening, because like you know, listening is like a, a absolutely essential. But listening is kind of like a broad statement. How do you keep listening when you don't like what you're hearing?
1: I think listening for me is is is, and I've had this in situations where I've had strong opinions on things. And I would say early in my career, maybe because I was a wubs and 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 you know some of our our our. People that I would lead or manage maybe wouldn't argue as much. But as I, I evolved and, and started to surround myself with with people that weren't yes people, um, I still would have tendencies to 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 this is what I think. And and I I I've, I've had numbers of situations, particularly my twin brother, um, who was a very strong personality, where he would see the world a different way on a particular topic. Having and then for me the 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 exercise would be to take that information in, and sometimes it's it, it's very apparent that that my opinion on something's misguided. Uh because not having the full story or all the information. And I think through those uncomfortable moments, um I've trained myself to to really try to to withstand the the, the urge to 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 espouse. And and sometimes it will change my opinion. It doesn't always work. I'm an emotional person so And I think you have seen this in in the odd interaction that I've had with some of our leadership team. Um, But I more often than not, I think I've used that skill and that's something that's learned over time for me through experience and sometimes uncomfortable experiences. When
0: we're thinking about leadership and it's just like evolution, it's a growth. And especially as the company grows, you're gonna grow and change and and approach things in, in different ways. So what's something that was true about you as a leader at one point, any point of your career that's not true about you today?
1: I would say what was true and, and is probably still evolving with me, but what is not true today that would have been true even a couple of years ago is my trouble with taking in bad news. Uh, and and <laughs> people, and you know this, people that work yeah. with me sometimes uh, get a little bit on eggshells. And I've always, always managed, uh, I've always wanted to be someone who who owned you know, the opportunity for solutions and then uh, we can do this and we're not going to allow roadblocks to get in the way I'm a very determined individual. And sometimes that, that outlook can be naive in the sense that it doesn't mean necessarily or translate that you can't have difficult situations and, and, and take in bad news. And that's something for me that I have struggled with a little bit in my leadership um, with the group is, is being able to allow others to digest and, and, and share information that I might perceive as negative or or, or a roadblock to something we're trying to achieve. And so I would say today, although it causes me tension in in my body and and, and (laughs) it causes me frustration, even talking about it right now, but I am much more cognizant of that as a leader now. And I think it's enhanced uh, my ability to work with individuals that, that need to process things in different ways from I do, in the way that I do.
0: Yeah, and the, allowing that kind of diversity of thought and different ways of kind of hitting a problem. Sometimes people need to sit with things and as leaders that can make us feel like, oh, you're letting, you're letting this become a barrier, but maybe they're just processing it in a, in a different way. So you've gotten better and more comfortable with that.
1: And I think for me, and that's been one of the exciting parts of the journey is uh, I learned that, that how I process information and how I interpret situations is how I do that it's not necessarily how it is done for other people. And, and so learning and, and understanding that different people process situations in different ways has been incredibly helpful for me in terms of how do I support.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. You're a really competitive person and I mean that as a total compliment. So like even, you know, back when you're in university, you're playing basketball, captain of the team, you love, you love the game. And of course anyone loves a game loves to win. But what's interesting about you as a leader, and I think is really interesting about Westland is you've created a very competitive culture. Like you are, you're competitors, but it hasn't crossed the line into being toxic. That win at all cost kind of culture. I haven't even seen a hint of that uh, in the organization, nor have I seen that even a hint of, of that with you. When you talk about ideas, when you talk about the next thing, it's clear you want to win, you want to get to the next space, but there's never a hint of that tox- that toxicity of win at any cost. How have you been able to maintain that as the culture has grown and you've brought in other leaders as well?
1: Part of that is my upbringing. Mm-hmm. My father is an intensely competitive human being to the point of he cheats at cards, he makes <laughs> up words and Scrabble. Um, he. It's, 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 Oh, it's exhausting. However, Jeff is also the most understated and humble human being, you know, I think I've ever met. And, and for me, I think humility is something that's just very attractive. And we've joked about this. Sometimes there might almost be an arrogance in our humility, but we're not being competitive or trying to grow to. Put it in someone's face or or to 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 boast we the satisfaction is in building something and 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 the satisfaction is in celebrating it with the groups of people that we're doing it with it's not it's not necessarily for external consumption i don't get my uh high out of that so to speak um and I, I, I don't know if that's innate um, or, you know, but I do think I, just observing my father and it's something that I think too, what we're trying to do, we're not trying to cure cancer. We're doing, I think we're doing a good value for, for society in, in terms of the industry we're in. We have to keep it in context with with, with things that are happening in the world as well. And uh, I don't get my self-esteem necessarily from from winning. Mm-hmm. Get my self esteem from a bunch of other things too, my children and my spouse, and being able to live, to live a good life. And so it, it's, but yes, I'm very competitive.
0: That piece of not getting your self esteem from winning, I believe that's like a real differentiator around having a healthy approach to winning and like just enjoying being in the fray versus becoming obsessed with it and allowing it to become toxic like I look at work uh, you know or I look at passions like what people are really passionate about I kind of think of three ways like interests like there are things you're interested in then you have hobbies and then you have passions and the thing about a passion is that a passion helps fuel who you are if you have one passion and that passion with uh, is work and that's your only passion then almost all if not all of your self-esteem comes from winning however if you have a few things that you're passionate with that you're really invested in each of those things helps fuel who you become but you are not dependent on any one of those things
1: yeah so so true and, and as soon as you said that that reminded me of, a few years ago I my son's junior team at the local high school they didn't have a basketball coach so I was like ah goodness so I stepped up and 40 kids show up for tryouts and, and first time in my life I had to like cut kids from a basketball team. I've coached a lot in the Y league, but it's just, here's your registration list. And talk about, you know, a, a knowledge, of, I didn't know I had this passion. I I, I thought I was going to end up in the hospital. I was so stressed about our season. And <laughs> and this was like a division three, you know, half the kids hadn't really played basketball before. And they the way the district had divided the teams up, we were in an incredibly competitive league. We And I have played ball my whole life so i know what the other high schools and some of the quality so we were wonderful kids but we were the kind of the bottom of the barrel in terms of talent and we made it right to the finals and the we had two buses come out so thank you to westland for sponsoring the pizza and the buses it was an expensive season for the for me and these (laughs) kids but we had fans come out and it felt like almost like a hoosiers event and and none of the it was so wonderful and and and, you know again it it wasn't so much about trying to win it was it was it in reflecting about it after it was about the, the experience of it with these kids and i thought
0: this is something
1: hopefully they don't forget about but i know i will never forget about it it was awesome
0: yeah it's it's the quality of the pursuit it's the the being in the fray You know, and and winning is awesome. Like, I I love to win, but it's that like, you're building something.
1: Yeah, we lost the final at the free throw line and my best player, and he burst into tears. (laughs) I felt, you know, I thought, oh, you know, I I wanna say it now, but this is a good life lesson for you. You gotta, you have to feel some loss if you're gonna really enjoy the wins.
0: I feel like I, in retrospect, I need to write a theme song for this season that like should have been playing as like so slow motion things were happening. like. You know, let's, let's talk. We'll, we'll, you know, let, let's make something. Let's talk about some kind of like broader things around leadership. So you're now a person and, and something I firmly believe is the more senior you get, the less instruction you're doing. And what I mean by that is like when we're younger leaders, we're often instructing people. So we're showing people how to do something and then they go and do it and then we give them feedback and they do it better and better. Kind of like a, let's say um, a driving instructor, you're showing someone the mechanics of how to drive. But the more senior that you get, and as you get uh, grow further and further in your career, you do less instruction and more coaching. So you're not showing someone how to do something. You're showing them different ways of thinking about things. And now that you're uh, in a C- uh, CEO space, this is really about very little instruction. Like you shouldn't really have to instruct people around you, but you probably spend a lot of your time teasing out different ways of thinking or different ways of hitting problems or like bigger strategy pieces. So... If you're thinking about how you're coaching the art of leadership what does that look like for you like what does the art of leadership look like for you from like kind of a thought piece
1: i think when when you talk about it in the, through that lens i think first you have to be comfortable in your own skin when you attract and recruit top level talent when you suggest that most of the the work if we're doing it at a, at a high level and leadership is coaching and and, and and providing different ways to look at the problems, but not instructing that for me, I would suggest in the last few years has, has been uh, really exciting, but also at times overwhelming because, you know, you could read any business book, hire people that are better than you. And then everyone uses that cliche.
0: Yeah.
1: When you actually hire people and bring people on, that, and, and I hate to use the word smarter because, you know, what does smart mean is the intelligence is measured in many different ways, but we have been fortunate enough to attract what I think are some very high caliber individuals within our executive team now. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a self-esteem check because, and I've said this to the board when we talk about succession planning, um, you know, if we all applied for the CEO job at Westland right now, There's no history or understanding of me, and we went head to head. It's the first time in my career where I'm like, Hmm, am I going to come in fourth, third, second, (laughs) or first? Then I am a little bit glad that we're the majority shareholder still. So,
0: totally like, would you get your own job if you had to post back into it with your head? Post
1: back into it, and but Mm. that's powerful in the sense that for me and, and that's my foundation and it's not that I lack confidence in, in my abilities, but when I think about it that way, I really have to be, I really have to be methodical in terms of how I choose to interact with the executive and the conversations I have. And I will suggest this sometimes, as recently as last week, I had a situation with our, our president and where I thought I was trying to coach, but as I heard myself speak, I'm like I'm instructing him, and he was gracious with me. And I had to back up, and then sort of said, "Can we have a reset here?" And it was on a, on, a, on a a topic that had implications broader than than what I sensed he was seeing. And, and so he was, and we've worked together long enough that he understands me, and, and then we have a, a high level of trust. But I had to have a couple cracks at it to to restate what was on my mind and what i was trying to achieve through the conversation and uh, uh so it, it's i would say for me it's organic and that i'm still learning that it, it's um we have a new cfo starting uh next week mm-hmm. this gentleman has has run run a company larger than ours as a ceo mm-hmm. so my challenge is going to be how do i get the most out of him and and what is our one-on-one relationship going to look like and i have a a list of things that i want to talk to him about and then i look at them and and a few of them i've already crossed off okay that's that's not that's an instruction um so i'm I'm learning and i would say you know to you Ron, it's hard it's it's fun but it's hard
0: yeah well and if you think of um because using the word art so if you think about art and you know when i think of art i'm going to think of writing a song Writing a song, each song has a different feel, different intensity, different lyrics, different structure, but they all need to fit together on the same record and be cohesive. And that's the way I think of like top level leadership, like when you're in a C-suite or even if let's say you're leading a a team, it's the idea. It's like I put it together like as if you're putting together a collection of songs for a record or a collection of paintings for a a collection that you're going to have at a gallery. It's that each has its own distinct identity. And the way you interact with it is distinct like yeah there are going to be some similar practices that you use over and over again but your interaction with that piece or with that song is going to be distinct and unique but they all work cohesively together as a group that for me is what the art of leadership is that is that you have the practices that you use so for example if i'm writing a song i pick up a guitar or i pick up a bass i think of things like structure like verse chorus like ending like how do the lyrics like there are structural things I think of but I have to immerse myself in that song and then make sure that it works with every other piece but I also have to be willing to allow there to be outliers and things that might change the dynamic of a record I don't want every song to sound the same I want the songs to be different and I have to like take leaps when I think of the art of leadership that's what I think of and when I think of the way that you interact and especially like as you've been evolving in in your um, in your own role that's something that I think you're really starting to um, to master. I have a question that's related to this because you've mentioned a few times, and sorry, was there a comment you wanted to make to that before I went forward?
1: I, I think, and this is my personal opinion, I think leadership often is misunderstood from the standpoint of we see US politics, the, the, the president's current and former, a lot of I words and, and, and lead us here. You know, Biden is getting the US out of the pandemic or. Justin Trudeau is, is doing this or doing that. So I think sometimes there's this unnecessary pressure on, on CEOs or leaders that there's this, I must have this wisdom. And that's just not how the world works. I got a tremendous amount of, of credit uh, last year as organization navigated the pandemic in the beginning. And yes, uh, I, I think I did a pretty good job. We closed the offices for the safety of our employees. We were, we were further ahead than, than other organizations, but that wasn't a J statement. I didn't say to the exec, exec, we need to get ahead of this. This came from Steve Sash, a colleague of mine. Blow me up. Have you given us any thought? I said, oh, just that everything's happening so fast, Steve. What are you thinking? And they talked to Carrie Fraser, our CPO, about it. So it, it's not leadership to me, especially in, in, in when you're trying to, to achieve great things, or you're in times of crisis, if you really want to be effective, there's a team of people, and sometimes for me, especially last year, yes, I was the messenger on a lot of things, um, but, but uh, you know, there was a collective, um, even well beyond our executive team for that matter, um, that helped the organization navigate, Westland navigated with the collective group of people we have across the organization, not, not because of me. Mm. I maybe just set the tone for that.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. And that's an incredible addition. All right. So you mentioned something a couple of times that I'm, I'm, I think is really valuable if you're comfortable sharing it. So you talked a lot about being comfortable in your own skin. You know, when you're hiring top talent or you're leading, And I think we can look at that as two ways leaders need to be comfortable in their own skins, but organizations need to be comfortable in their own skins. You have to understand who you really are and that that who you really are is the best version of who you can be. So you do in that work. I want to ask this question in two ways that getting comfortable in your own skin, like really understanding yourself. What have you done as a leader to get there?
1: I think good mentorship. Mm -hmm. I have sought out good mentors in my life. My father obviously is a mentor. Uh, My former basketball coach at UBC was a a mentor, certainly in my early years as a leader. And a a gentleman named Don Callahan, uh, who was the president and CEO of Guy Carpenter, a reinsurance broker, uh, the Canadian operations based in Toronto. Don has been a good mentor. So I I think for me, seeking good mentorship and and having these kinds of discussions always helps. Um, I don't mind putting this out here too, counseling. Um, I, I uh, my marriage, uh, separated from my first wife, um, about 11 years ago. And, and, uh, I went to see a counselor and, and she said, what's your purpose here? And I said, I want to do this right. She goes, what do you mean by right? And I said, it seems so many people go through these situations. Heather and I love our children. We don't hate each other. I want to make sure that I'm happy. Uh, and, and have a fulfilling life going forward. How do I how do I navigate this? And so part of that was understanding more about myself. And so I so I think in terms of authentic leadership and, and how I approach it, I think you have to spend time on yourself, understanding yourself, understanding what makes you tick, and not just the strengths and, and leveraging those. But you know, we talked earlier about my struggle sometimes with negative conversations that's something that i own i i need to learn how to process that and 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 understand that other people process the situations differently that's something that jason can improve upon and so i think with my leadership that has really helped by being open to learning
0: yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's so valuable and I appreciate that appreciate that vulnerability. You know, like again, like a, as a guy who's been a therapist for many, many years, I've gone to therapy. Absolutely. Like 100%. I love that in our society, but especially in the business world, that conversation about what it takes to be happy and to be whole, that we can have that a bit more and that we can talk about mental health, you know. People are always like, oh, you know, like you got to be honest with yourself, blah, blah, blah. Like you hear this in business for years, but like, okay, what does it actually mean? And that often means like going to someone to help hold up a mirror to you. And I love that you're able to share about that.
1: You use the word vulnerable too. And I think that is, is, is you, when you can allow yourself to be vulnerable, um, there's a great strength in that. Yeah. And it certainly does not take away, uh, uh, from one's competitiveness.
0: No. You know, it's so interesting. Like when I watched that, um, uh, the the thing about the Chicago Bulls uh, recently that was on Netflix, I left there thinking like, God, Michael Jordan's kind of a jerk. But then I was like, but I also liked that he was just kind of like who he was. And like, you could see he was like kind of struggled with stuff and maybe wish things were different, but he was who he was. And that like sense of like, oh, I kind of feel like I know him a bit more like a human being. I was really surprised because I always thought of Michael Jordan as this like perfect guy, but it's like, I kind of don't like Michael Jordan, but that's cool that he was who he really was in that documentary.
1: Yeah, I got the same reaction. I watched it twice. um, And the first time I had the same sort of feeling, I thought, man, what a jerk. (laughs) And then I watched it again and again, listened to what he was saying more. and, and, And he became more endearing in a lot of ways to me.
0: Yeah, totally. And that like, this is who I am, like being vulnerable in that way. And like, you could see, like, there's probably like some things he like regretted or felt bad about. And he even seemed a little confused by his own behavior at some points, but in that like, oh, this guy's actually a human being. And I, I really liked that. When we think about getting comfortable in our own skin, how does an organization do that? Especially an organization that's like getting bigger and scaling. That's hard. I mean, my company, 13 people we're still figuring out who we are. We're getting comfortable in our, our own skin. So how does one of 2000 people do that?
1: We use the words culture and brand um, a lot. And and I think one of the things that we have done and that we're doing and that we'll continue to do is for us to be comfortable in our skin. It's really important as an organization to understand who we are and, and, and what we're striving to be and, and, and to, to have those in sound bites that can remind us on a a day-to-day basis. And that we can also, as we onboard new employees, as we uh, develop new partnerships with other brokerages, as we continue to move across the country, that we always are consistent in in our values. And and, and being consistent in our values means understanding and being able to articulate what those are. And I think for us, the the work that we've done over the last six months as an organization, particularly with, with, I call them the two carries, uh, Carrie Fraser, our CPO and Carrie Watson, our, our senior vice president of marketing and customer experience, the work that they've led in that area has really enabled us to now have a foundation to, to articulate who we are mm-hmm. and, 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 and this is the skin we want to operate in, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, and I also, having been able to walk with you uh, through this that's hard work, that is like really, oh, really uncomfortable, yeah. hard work. Can you break down the phrase for me? Don't make demands, sell the vision. Yeah.
1: So two stories there. Maybe my memory of this is is more intense than the actual events at the time. But back in the nineties, after I was managing in in Ladner, the, the main office, I got to manage the other office in Ladner, then manage a few more. So not manage, but I was having some informal oversight. Colin and Jeff. In those days, we didn't have the same kind of structures that we do today, and, and the offices were all called different names. It was still called Corey Insurance. Tuason was Tuason Insurance. We had A.W. McLeod in New West and Sundell Insurance in Langley, and I was, in part, because of my enthusiasm and 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 youth and and, and uh, you know my energy, I was starting to work with more offices, so I was starting to create this sort of this this retail operation and um, we had uh, uh, done very well uh, in in the sales and I was following the sales of all the offices. None of these people actually formally, necessarily formally reported to me, but I'd sort of, maybe because I was a WUBS too, I don't know, but but it's also gained because of my enthusiasm. I think we started to build some common alignment between the offices and we're looking to change to one name and, and so on. So I was doing all these things, working long hours, getting what I thought were great results. And then Colin with his Cockney accent is, you know, come on over Jay and talk about your salary review. And we sit down and have a a seafood clubhouse at the the, the landing pub in Ladner. And he gives me a 2% increase. And I could feel my left eye welling up. I was so upset. (laughs) <laughs> and I didn't say anything I just said thank you and I couldn't sleep and I, I emailed uh, uh, Bruce Ends and said, I need to see you and then I went to sub building for breakfast at UBC in the student union building and I had breakfast in them. and in the first half an hour I'm just yelling at him and this is crap and, and they had no idea and I'm this is in a way I'm not I'm getting a way better increase I'm going to call both Jeff and Colin into a meeting and he started laughing he says you got to." tone it down and he said you've been doing all these things do they know and i said well they should know he goes well don't rely on that sell them your vision don't make demands he said he was like don't go in there and say i need to get this He goes, first you're first going to put him in a corner and you blindside your father don't he's like don't put him in that position and he goes sell them on a vision ask to meet with them say you want to put forward a proposal and he was just you sell show them what you've been working on and sell them the vision of the future and he goes at the end you just hit them with it and say what's that worth to you guys so i did just that and i i can still remember in the boardroom and father called me the two nights before what's this meeting about i said just show up it's all good and i gave them each copy of the because we have powerpoint and stuff at that time and they're getting all excited. And Colin's like, this is great. You this. and this is, then they were, they're just laughing it all up. And then at the end, I just said, now, how much is this worth to you guys? And I could see my dad's eyes twinkling. <laughs> well played. And it wasn't fake stuff. I had done this yeah. and I was doing this. And then Colin's like, I didn't give you a very good increase. Did I, did I? And I, I said, I'm not. I don't have any demands here i just i'm not an owner you guys take draws or whatever i said i don't have visibility it's not my business but i said my salary is my income heather and i want to buy a house at some point and i don't want to you know i I, I think i'm doing a lot and so they got back to me and i got a really nice increase and um i kind of thought at that time everything else for the rest of my life is gravy Can go to a restaurant now. I can get two beers instead of one. I don't have to, you know, do early bird. And (laughs) so that, what that taught me though is, whatever position you're in, sell the vision. Got to convince people. And so further to that, later on, I had also then asked Jeff because Colin wasn't really wired that way to think about organizational structure and stuff. And I said to Jeff, like, should I not become the VP or the regional man, you know, we didn't have regional manager. I wanted another title. I wanted, I wanted to be the boss of these people, so to speak. And he said, no, uh, and, and I don't know if his reason, I didn't necessarily agree with him at the time, but his reasoning to me was if you're doing everything you say you're doing, you don't need to be structurally their boss, If you're, what you're doing is right. And you can sell them on that and they buy in, you're doing an effective job. And so that sort of really resonated with me and by the time i became you know uh, a vp i think was was the next title i got of um, our retail operations it was obvious to people it wasn't mm-hmm. well jeff's made his son a vp and so those those two things really resonated with me and i still think about those today
0: yeah uh, i and i love that man like don't make demands sell the vision like probably one of the most uncomfortable conversations i've ever had as a professional was when i got hit with a bunch of demands in a conversation i wasn't i wasn't expecting i got put in a corner so i would have been in your dad's situation uh, that you avoided doing and i remember getting like defensive like why are you doing this like and what didn't happen was the selling of the vision. And if that had happened, I would have been like, damn, okay. Like, yeah, maybe like you've, you've made a great point instead of feeling like put on there. I I think about that conversation a lot because I I really, I never thought about it the way you've just said it here. And that's actually a way that I think I'm going to talk to people about it going forward because like, I want, I want to pay people what they want or I want to give people the opportunities, but I need to understand what you're doing so that we can make that happen.
1: Yeah. And, and, I didn't totally know it or, or fully understand it at the time, but it was an incredibly, in hindsight, a powerful message from Bruce. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. It,
1: it, um, it really shaped me. And again, I, I just uh, always think about that. And also like you just said, you know, I've been on the receiving end of demands and, and it's always a reminder. It's not an effective strategy.
0: No, it sucks. And then it puts you in this weird, like someone has to win and someone has to lose space when we can both win. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions. Well, actually, I've got four questions for you. So the first is time. Time management, you know, like I I have my own business. I work wild, wild hours and I'm, I'm trying to get my arms around that right now. Being where you're at in your career, you've clearly learned some stuff about time management and why it's important. And the word ruthless has come up uh, in your pre-interview. So why is it important to be ruthless with your time, both at work and at home?
1: Uh, Because people will take and take and take, and it's not that people are greedy, um, everything is important to, to, to people and at the end of the day. And I don't want to imply that people generally don't care, but they don't know your time and your situation. So, so for me, if someone says we, we need to do this, or you need to sit in this meeting, you need to do that. And then, or, you know, I get stuff on LinkedIn all the time and sales calls. You need to do this. You need to do that. Your company needs to do this. If You don't be disciplined with your time you can end up being super busy and, and, and you can't do it all. So for me, I do it out of the, the, the sheer fact that I don't ever wanna be in a position where I resent the people I work with and then resent my family or resent the world. And so I have learned to, to be disciplined in the sense that I'm taking care of myself. I'm biking tomorrow, Friday morning at 10 o'clock, my calendar's blocked. I don't care. I'm very fortunate in that I have flexibility. So I'm not saying everyone should bike or can bike at 10 a.m. on a Friday. Not everyone has that luxury, but I think we all can find opportunities to be disciplined with our time. For more disciplined than we are. So for me, it's, it's, I need to spend time with my kids. So it's yeah. important that I go to my daughter's horseback riding. I need to, as CEO, make sure that I'm putting my time in to things that move the organization forward and the relationships that help the organization go forward. So in order to do that, and there's always exceptions, I would suggest I don't struggle with it. That That's something that's very important to me.
0: As a, I guess I'm, I, I would say I'm mid-career at this point, I'm just starting to wrap my arms around that. And, you know, even a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, I'm not living my life. I'm just like, I'm just like going through my day-to-day and that sense of like resentment I could feel that. I could feel that building. So like that, that need to be super disciplined with your time. And like, yeah, we don't have opportunity. I'll have opportunities to say like bike on Friday at 10 AM, but there is a way that you can work your life to give yourself at least the, you got to optimize as best as you can your time so that you can live.
1: Well, it makes me a better dad. It makes me a better husband and a better colleague. And and plus I want to As Jeff said at the very beginning, when he acquired Corey, I want to enjoy coming to work, and I want to enjoy, I want to as much as possible, enjoy this experience. So there there has to be a balance.
0: Totally. All right. So last three questions for you. The first one's a two-parter, and it's it's a tough one. Part one of the question: You today, not you previously, but you today. Is there anything that's misunderstood about you as a CEO?
1: Sometimes I still feel, you know. And I'll always probably have a slight chip. It's maybe what drives the, the growth is that my father founded the company. Mm. Um, and I know people respect my work ethic and, mm. and uh, you know, appreciate it at work, but that's something that, that I wouldn't say haunts me, but there's always as a subtle question mark, you know, is there a perception there?
0: Yeah. It's, it's that one itch that, you know, better to scratch, but it's always slightly there.
1: Like Jeff sold his house, quit his job, bought, an, bought a business. Yeah. We have bought, you know, like an incredible amount of, of, of agencies and, 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 and then built this organization, but it's always been, you know, balance sheet driven or, or, or electronics it's, it's never, I've never had that feeling of, I just sold my house took out all my savings and bought that. So um, is there, there certainly is a privilege to to coming in when I did and being able to, to put more wood on the fire, so to speak. But sometimes that that gnaws at me ever so slightly.
0: Okay, great answer. All right, part two of the question is, what is perfectly understood about you as a CEO? So it's something like a perception that people have about you and you're like, yep, dead on, that's completely understood about me. People
1: know that I care deeply about our organization and the people that work at it
0: yeah all right second to last question give me a top three you're getting revved up to compete and it could be compete like you're about to go for a ride it could be compete like you're going to go into a big meeting anything that you're ready to compete about top three songs that really get your blood pumping
1: oh well the first one that comes to mind is is uh um U two streets um mm. that one uh, um so i think of canucks games and then i, I think of um boston um uh, long play i think it's called something like that uh that reminds me of the richmond colts hopefully none of them see this podcast <laughs> um but i was always man that got me revved up Ryan tate my uh, friend from and co-player at UBC he played for Richmond and that song always gets me pumped and then I'd have to throw some Queen in there Mm -hmm. Um, uh, if I ever need to be inspired uh, I we have a small theater downstairs and I'll go and the whole house will shake I'll go down and play uh, um, uh, the the, the live aid uh, Queen section and I'll just crank it so
0: yeah. I, I love that, man. Speaking of queen, uh, my three-year-old, uh, she started to sing another one bites the dust just as she walks around. And I like, I, I can't like, it is the funniest thing when she's just like we're walking through a park. She's like another one bites the dust. <laughs>
1: okay. I asked my kids about queen the, the other day, uh, you know, from their generation, what uh-huh. do they think about Freddie Mercury relative to the to today's artists? Do they, do they understand or, or, and I know it's my, and they're like, no one like them. And, and, yeah. and uh, it's just so yeah, Queen would have to be at the top of the list.
0: I love it. All right. Final question is as we're closing off, we have such a wide variety of people that listen to this podcast. So we have people from like the straight up corporate world who are leaders, CEOs, building businesses. We have entrepreneurs, we have artists. We have people who are musicians, people who are you know, into activism. So it's a pretty broad range of people, but they all come here to learn about leadership. And to hear about leadership and from people who are leaders so anything that you want to share as we're closing off around leadership or how to how to really like be in that mix with people to create results
1: when when you say it in terms of creating results um maybe i could close off by sharing my my last uh my my third mentor don callahan when i became ceo at westland he flew out from Toronto to have lunch with me, to congratulate me. And, and uh, I said, Don, can you give me some advice? Like I, I'm CEO now, like, like, and he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, I don't even know what questions to ask you yet, to be honest. And, and he says, well, what do you want to accomplish? And I said, well, we've got a real opportunity to grow Westland now. We're going to loosen the purse strings. We're, we're going to reinvest more. We want to triple the size of the company. And, and he said to me, what if you could look five years from now and the company was even more than that? It was four times the size. Everything you've got on your list is accomplished. But the perception was, or, or, or you got no credit for that. But the company achieved all of that. And he goes, if you could have that as CEO, would you take that? And I said, I don't totally understand what you mean. He goes, company, Westland, you're at the helm, company, quadruples in size. You meet all of your, your, you exceed all of your wildest dreams and your plans, but you, Jason Wubbs, people don't look at it and say, Jason Wubbs did that. I said, so what are you saying? He goes, what do you think I'm saying? And I'm saying, so the team did this and not necessarily in spite of me, but the world's not looking at me saying he must've done that. He's great. I, I, I. And he said, absolutely. And he says, in his opinion, he says, I struggle with this, but if great leadership, if you're talking about results, if you can lean on your people and have your leadership get all of the results almost in spite of you, he said, that to me is, is great leadership, but it takes incredible self-esteem. And, and I, 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 you know, he articulated it better maybe than I'm articulating now. But what I I loved about that was so often we need that as human beings, we need feedback, we need recognition, but he was from a selfless and a serving standpoint. If you can put your people in front of the success, um, great things will happen. And, And that to me is incredibly powerful.
0: Uh, that's uh, that really powerful and uh, a great place for us to be rounding up. So, Jason, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of moments in this conversation. Not only do I like hearing what you're talking about because we know each other and I, I know Westland well, but also I learned a lot. So thank you so much for joining the show today.
1: Yeah, and thanks for uh, pushing me on this around. It's nice to, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts, but I, it's never been something I would put my hand up and say, I must do that. So I appreciate uh, uh, for my journey as well. you giving me a little nudge. I really enjoyed this.
0: Heck yeah, thank you so much. All right, everyone, we will see you in the outro. And Spencer, drop the beat. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, like for people who are listening to this and hadn't known who Jason was before this, what you heard on the podcast, that's actually how he is. Very kind, very, very thoughtful. His emotions are a little closer to it, to the surface than some people, but he manages that so well and it's just such an authentic thing. This is a guy with a huge heart and he has led with that heart, but equally with his brain throughout his career. So I learned so much about building a great business, like, but also evolving yourself as a leader and getting to that place where both your head and your heart have a solid say in what's going to happen next. For anyone listening, remind yourself, you're a person, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have great qualities. You're going to have challenging uh, qualities. It's not about being this perfect person all the time. It's about recognizing like, Hey, I need to develop. I need to grow. And in that, I'm always going to be a great boss to someone. And I just need to figure out how to expand that to more and more people so that I continue to grow and develop. So with that, um, I want to remind everyone we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest, recorded by Patrick McKechnie, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. That's it for this episode. And we'll see you next time on One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.